From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. This week, we have CPR's justice reporter, Allison Sherry, joining us. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Yes, thanks for being on this episode. And I think we're in week three of recording Purplish remotely from our separate homes, not in the studio booth. So <laughs> I miss the studio ha- booth. <laughs> <laughs> How is the work-life balance going for both of you? Well, um, you know, personally, I have two tiny children under the age of five in the house all the time, so there's that. But um, also, I think just professionally, I really miss getting in people's faces with my mic um, in person (laughs) and making them talk to me. (laughs) Now I'm doing that on Zoom, but I am seeing a lot of kitchens and uh, sheriff's deputies offices, and (laughs) that's kind of our new reality. But I look forward to the day that we get to go back and, and talk to people in person. Definitely harder to track people down. Although everybody is home, right? So or most people are home. So you can, you know, right. if you can't get them, they're just, they're purposely avoiding you. <laughs> yeah, they have no excuse. <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I definitely miss being in the Capitol and, and the just kind of spontaneous things that happen in, out in the real world. But I, I like being able to go into my backyard and dig things up when I get overwhelmed with reporting. And yes, I've been hearing a lot of people's children and, and seeing a lot of their houses, too. <laughs> Well, for this episode, we are going to check in on the COVID-19 pandemic that's still dominating pretty much everything. And in our line of work, we're talking state government, the state legislature, the justice system. And we'll talk about some key dates and actions coming up and a lot of other things that we're trying to keep track of. We're recording this episode on the morning of Thursday, April 9th. By the time you listen to it, there may have been a few new developments, but it should still be pretty relevant. This is the point in purplish in normal times before coronavirus, we would highlight the hot bills that are getting a lot of clicks on the state legislature's website. Yeah, and we managed to keep that going for quite a while, even though the legislature was uh, in recess and nowhere to be seen. This time, there are no new bills to tell you about. But I actually found something else that we could do instead, and that (laughs) is we're going to look at the most accessed publications, uh, because... (laughs) People are still interested in in what's happening, and a lot of people are looking at the 2020 Joint Budget Committee schedule. That's important because lawmakers still need to pass a budget to keep the government running. The fiscal year starts July 1st, and we're bracing for some pretty significant budget cuts. Yeah, and they're even cutting for this year already. Uh, Governor Polis' budget chief sent out a letter to the state departments, told them to consider delaying grants delay making hires, even maybe, if possible, delay implementing some of the new laws that uh, state legislators passed in the last couple of years. And overall, it asked them to find ways to return, you know, $43 million to the budget and all at the end of this fiscal year. And in in my little beat world, um, criminal justice, you know, that will absolutely affect the Department of Corrections, um, the Department Mm. of Public Safety, which um, tracks data on crimes across the state for the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and all of that. You know, I also think, interestingly, um, as a side note, I've been talking to a lot of cops and sheriffs in the last few weeks, and they're also really Mm. worried about budget cuts um, at the county level and at the city level because tax revenues are going to be way down everywhere. You know, you think about small, small little 
sheriff's departments like San Miguel County, which we're going to talk about later in this episode, um, they've completely put a fence up around Telluride. Nobody can come in. Nobody can go out. No tourists can come yep. stay there. What does that do to mm. the San Miguel County Sheriff? You know, And so I think that kind of stuff is going to be really interesting. The other document that people are looking at on the website is the state economic forecast. Not surprisingly, that's kind of the document that, uh, gosh, these nonpartisan economists come up with to try to predict how much money the state's going to have to spend in the next year. And it's it's not a pretty picture right now, and it's liable to get worse. So people are watching that closely to see what's going to happen to uh, to their own little corner of the world. Governor Jared Polis has extended Colorado's stay-at-home order until April 26th. That could definitely get pushed back again, but he says if people stay at home, he thinks that date is achievable. That's something he's mentioned in a couple of recent press conferences. This idea of a return or the beginning of a return to normalcy if we all behave properly. But what we don't know yet is what that actually looks like. Um, What gets opened potentially on April 27th or what are we allowed to do on April 27th that we can't do right now? And some lawmakers have had questions for the governor. The House Republican Caucus, all 24 of them, sent a letter asking for details about how Polis will decide when the state can reopen and Will he look at infection rates or hospitalization rates? And uh, again, back in my little beat world, I've been super fascinated by, um, in the criminal justice system, this notion of a speedy trial and how coronavirus has upended some of that. Um, A week or so ago, I was talking to the Adams County District Attorney, Dave Young, and he was telling me that once Mm. you are arraigned, the clock starts and you are guaranteed a trial six months from that date. So when they have closed courts and they've pushed most proceedings back a little bit because of coronavirus, I'm curious. I think he was really worried about what that's going to do and how the appellate courts are going to handle that if someone says, hey, I didn't get my speedy trial within six months. This whole thing should be tossed out. And so I, I'm kind of trying to track that because as this goes on, you know, and if it even goes on beyond April 26th, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that affects, you know, criminal justice system across the state. I mean, this is going to happen everywhere. Another issue we've heard Polis mention a lot testing and monitoring of of people who've contracted Mm COVID-19. He wants more of it. He says testing's actually gone up about tenfold since early March, but he doesn't think it's enough. Testing itself doesn't cure anybody. How do you support the isolation and quarantine of the specific individuals who test positive and those who have been exposed to them rather than the mass quarantining of society, which is what is so economically devastating to all of us as well as just devastating to our morale. South Korea, I know, had some rules where they were testing everybody, and I think in China, too, they were testing people before they even Mm. went back to their own apartments. The point is, you know, trying to find some sense of where people are sick is a good way of identifying clusters, and then that kind of frees up other people to go on with their lives. You've been following along, though, with one of the more more comprehensive or or even invasive, some would say, testing efforts here in Colorado, and that's in San Miguel County, right? It is, and and I would would definitely take take issue with the word invasive because it's all voluntary. So like they're not requiring anyone to get tested or anything. But it is very interesting because it's the first place in the country to test everybody 
you know, everybody who wants to, that is, um, healthy or not, to see if mm. we could figure out how widespread COVID-19 is. And it's a little bit of an interesting backstory. There are these two CEOs married to each other of this very prominent biomedical company, pharmaceutical company. Mm. These two CEOs live and have a residence in Telluride. So they have a sort of a soft spot for mm. San Miguel County. <laughs> um, they have decided to just let everybody who wants to get a test. And and as of April 8th, they have tested 6,000 of the 8,200 residents in San Miguel wow. County. Um, it's a huge number, really. I am personally surprised at how many people came out voluntarily to schools and firehouses and churches to get tested. Hmm. Now, one thing I want to note that's very interesting about this is this is not the swab test the CDC is doing across the country. This is a blood serum test. The difference so is they're not sticking the thing up your nose. No, no. And the difference between blood and they and a scientist would say blood never lies. Right. Is that hmm. you get a blood test and the antibodies for COVID-19 show up. Even if you had COVID-19 three months ago and you're healthy and everything's great, you, the antibodies would show up if you had it. So they're hmm. testing all these people to see if they had it and maybe didn't know it and are now going on with their lives. Um, or they might be at the very beginning stages of getting it, and it would show up on the blood test, and they'd feel fine. Those people are able to then go self-isolate in their own home because they might be coming mm. down with it. So the first tranche was like a 1,000 tests, and they had, I think, 28 uh, borderline positives, and um, mm. I think eight or nine definite positives. Anyway, it's a little higher number than we think, and I think that shows huh. that covid is, as we have said, and as Governor Polis has said repeatedly, way more widespread than we know because the testing has been so delayed and so spotty. Um, and that's, well, you know, I think that's what this is going to show. I'm sure a lot of people around the country will be watching that data set. It sounds a lot more comprehensive than, than you'd be able to get for a lot of areas. But uh, w what exactly is the goal, though? Like, do they want to just find people who are infected and isolate them or they got something bigger in mind here? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of goals. One is, yes, if you find out that you have the positive antibodies before you're sick, that could definitely um, protect other people in your family, in your household. You go sleep in the basement and, you know, other people in your house could maybe be spared of this. Um, it could show a little bit more of an accurate deadly rate. I mean, not to be grim, but if so many more people mm. have it than we know, we might see that the death rate of this is way lower than we think. Right. So I think that's another thing. It just gives everybody a little bit more data. Colorado just had the first confirmed COVID-19 case in the correction system, and we've also seen some outbreaks in jails. We have. There have been positives in the Denver jail, the El Paso jail, the Weld County jail. And I think that that is a real undercount. I don't think there's a lot of widespread testing in jails, and I'm hearing that there are a lot of people who are sick. We got news last week as well that an El Paso County deputy had died at age 41. At the time, that was the youngest coronavirus fatality in the state. This deputy worked in intake and release, and that, again, emphasizes the risk to everyone in the correctional system. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, like sheriffs and sheriff's deputies, really followed that El Paso case. It was horrifying. Um, and they've mm. since, the El Paso deputies, I think they've had eight positives in there, and they're getting it from the jail, likely. Because jails have such churn, and because mm. there are so many people coming in and out who work there as well, 
you know, there's just a real chance for, you know, jails to become breeding grounds. You know, I don't know how many of the deputies are wearing masks um, when mm. they're in there. So, you know, they can give it to each other. And I think that's where it's hard. And Allison, I imagine like some workplaces, it's hard to keep that social distancing measures in place where you're not going to be standing right next to other people. Well, right. I mean, if you think about what a jail is, it's like the absolute opposite of social distancing. Most of these jails are at, you know, 70, 80, 90, or 100 percent capacity. They have bunk beds. They're all sharing toilets. They all share sinks. A lot of times there's not liquid soap. There's a bar of soap that they're all sharing. Wow. And so you, you have to think that that's not at all the point of jail. And so it's really hard to go and like try to make a jail a place where everybody can stay six feet apart. Now, I've done a lot of reporting and there are a lot of sheriffs really working hard to do that because they're so freaked out. I mean, they're freaked out about big outbreaks. They're also freaked out about their own deputies, um, understandably. So yeah. jails are just, you know, ripe for this. And there have been some Colorado sheriffs letting people out of jail um, to try to reduce those numbers so it's a little bit less dangerous. So Colorado's legislative session is still paused, but we do have a tentative date for when lawmakers will come back to the Capitol, and that's set for May 18th. Yeah, it could definitely change, but the goal is to get the governor a budget by May 30th. And that's because the budget needs to be done by July 1st to start paying the state's bills in the new Mm -hmm. year. I think a lot of the major legislation, some of the big priorities for Democrats who are in charge of the legislature, are going to be set aside to focus on coronavirus. Yeah, I've been making some calls on that, Benta, and... Uh, one of the first things I hear is like, we still want to wait for the rest of the budget picture to become clear. But what's becoming clear is that the budget is not going to get any better. So these Democratic leaders and lawmakers are having discussions among themselves about what do we have a realistic shot of getting done? You know, not just with the limited money, but also with the um, perceptions of like, it's really hard to institute a big new public program when government's strapped for cash and business is struggling. And You know, we'll have to see how receptive folks are. Yeah, and, and, you know, there are some criminal justice measures I was tracking before COVID, doing more restrictions on cash bail. There was some legislation on sex offenders and juvenile sex Mm. offenders. But, you know, I think some of that, I just have no idea what the new world's going to look like when they go back. I think the criminal justice system has kind of changed. I mean, there are people out on parole with technical violations that are not being sent back to prison right now because they're trying to not introduce new people into prisons unless they absolutely have to. So I think in some ways this has been a massive criminal justice reform effort, the quarantine and the coronavirus and policy changes and sheriffs letting people out of jail. I mean, all of this stuff. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the legislature tackles some of these sort of old bills when there's this new world, you know. The two ones I've got my eyes on are the public option, which was set to be this big health care fight where the governor was really running hard against hospitals saying that they need to give up some of their profits. Even one of the sponsors, Rep. Dylan Roberts, he acknowledged that that's going to be a really heavy lift. I think a public health crisis makes clear that we need to have a system in place that gives people access to health care as much as possible and as affordable as possible. And that was always the goal of the Colorado option. So we'll keep working on it. It may happen this year. It may not. But it will still be something that we need to move forward with. And then on paid leave, you know, that's the bill that aimed to give people paid time off from work to do stuff like take care of a loved one, take care of themselves, uh, have a baby. 
Sponsors are still working on that one. They think that they still have a shot. They're going to have a plan ready to go May 18th, and it may be a lot different than what we've heard about in the past. What's funny on both of those issues is that, you know, for, for a lot of advocates, this crisis has highlighted the need for a more durable health insurance plan and the need for people to be able to take time off work when they're sick, which some people haven't been doing because they need the money. We do have about half of the legislative sessions still left, but I don't think it's clear if they'll use all those remaining days because mm. as we approach the summer, we're getting closer to a November election. So there's political considerations, too. Yeah, that's what's kind of ironic or strange about this whole situation is it has highlighted, you know, new arguments for all these changes while also limiting the government's ability to to do much about it. Um, you know, they, they talk about black swan events in the financial markets, like things you can't predict that change everything. And this is very much a black swan for uh, for the legislature as well. So this is our final segment for this week's episode of Purplish, where we reflect on something that stood out to us over our reporting recently. Anything that on, on either of your radars? Well, the thing that pops to mind is, you know, we mentioned how we're, we're getting glimpses into people's home lives. I was talking to Representative Jonathan Singer about something this week, and, uh, you know, his kids were, were in the background. And he was obviously doing a great job of, like, juggling the two different needs. But we, we, he, he didn't, <laughs> this, this really cracked me up, like he didn't um, really change his tone of voice between talking to me and talking to them, or even put a pause in there. So he would be in the middle of an answer saying like, and the thing that my colleagues and my constituents need to know is that daddy can't make you a sandwich right now. <laughs> and so you would just end up with these kind of really funny incongruous <laughs> statements that combine public policy and caring for a small child. I have a small little personal story that um, is kind of, it, it sort of exemplifies, it just depends on what perspective you're looking at something in this weird world and, and, and how you're going to observe it. As I was on a bike ride with my uh, almost four-year-old, and, um, mm. and I'm looking at all of these playgrounds around our neighborhood that have orange tape around them because the city has taped off playgrounds because mm. so, we're not supposed to be going to playgrounds. And I think they all look like creepy crime scenes. Like I, It looks like there's a playground crime scene every single time I bike by one or see one. That's I, the crime reporter in you. Yeah, that's my yeah, crime that's reporter. I'm like, image. oh, this looks like something bad happened there, but it's just taped off. But my daughter is like, Mom, the playgrounds are trapped. They're all trapped. <laughs> and is that because of the coronavirus? Is that the coronavirus and that the, they've trapped all the playgrounds? <laughs> so it just depends on the perspective that you're, you know, you're looking at, you're, you're looking at this entire thing. And sometimes it's good to have a, a child nearby to, to give you something that's, you know, a little less grisly. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleagues Andrew Kenny and Allison Sherry. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and edited by Megan Verlee. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music.
If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show on iTunes. And to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy KNNY. I'm at Benta Berkland. And I'm Allison Sherry at Allison Sherry. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.